0: I can see my breath. It is really cold this morning in the Netherlands because I'm back from a trip through the Holy Land. And this morning I left home early to walk to work from my rectory here behind me at the St. Joseph's Church in Hoeklander Hoeklanderveen. Veen. <laughs> that's how my Google assistant pronounces it. And I'm walking to, uh, Studio Headquarters in the city of Amersfoort. It's about a half hour walk and I figured it would be a good occasion to record an episode of the walk and talk about uh, the week behind me, because I've had a, a pretty amazing week. Good morning. People are gathering wood here in front of this house, clearly for a fireplace. And I'm not jealous. <laughs> yes, I am. I wish I had a fireplace. So last week I was in Israel, we traveled through the many interesting, fascinating, inspiring places that we know from the Bible. It was an exhausting week, as I mentioned in my other weekly show, but also extremely beautiful and, um, and surprising in many ways. It was so different from what I expected, and it has, I think, really deepened my understanding of... The, let's say the context of the Gospels and of some of the stories in the Old Testament, seeing where it all took place and linking it to historical places, standing in the same spaces as where uh, Jesus walked and, and did miracles, that is a game changer when it comes to... Uh, I'm not sure if it's the understanding of the Bible stories, because, but it is definitely the... Uh, uh, let's say the ambient uh, atmosphere in which they they happened. It, 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 I don't know. It, it made a lot of the stories that I knew so well come alive in a different way. Now let's see. I can turn left. Normally I would continue with my. If I'm on a, my bike, I would tr- uh, walk along the railroad. But this time I can walk. Take this path and walk through this thick layer of leaves. It's unbelievable, in one week, most of the trees have lost all their leaves and they're now here on the ground. Forming a nice tapestry on the road in front of me. The sun is coming up over the farms here. It's one of the things I love about this village. It is surrounded by the city, almost gobbled up in the last five, six years but there is still a core of rural life um, that is intact. Like these small farms here, there's some sheep grazing on the fields here on the left. And uh, some more smaller farm houses here. And it gives you much more of the feeling, even though it's not really true because uh, I'm I'm technically speaking in the middle of the city, but it makes me feel as if I'm living on the countryside. That's one of the things that struck me uh, when I was traveling from uh, Tel Aviv, from the airport to Nazareth, and then from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, is how much of the country, how much of Israel is, is rural. And uh, it's, it, there's a difference, of course, between the Holy Land and, and Israel, the state of Israel. As you know, there's a very complicated political situation, political and social situation there. I try to kind of step away from that because my aim was not to discover the state of Israel, but to travel through the Holy Land. But for many ways, for many people, it's, uh, it's kind of synonymous, they think, of Israel as the Holy Land. But it's more nuanced than that, so forgive me if... Uh, the, <laughs> the kind of the broad strokes with which I'm sometimes painting the picture. But anyway, um, th- there are long, long stretches of nothing in, in the Holy Land. You see the desert, which looks nothing like the desert, I imagined. Uh, you, you tend to think of the Sahara, <laughs> outstretched sand, fields of sand, dunes of sand. Um, the, uh, the desert in the Holy Land is much more, it's just abandoned. Uh, abandoned places, it's very, but it's, uh, geographically, or I would you say that, in terms of the type of landscape, uh, landscape can be anything, but most of it looked pretty dry, of course we're visiting at the end of the, of a long, very hot summer period, temperatures are still nice in the, in in the Holy Land, it was um, around 20, 22 degrees Celsius every day, so that's very, very nice. Pretty dry as well. Most of the of the rain fell in the, on the first day when we were, were near the uh, uh, mountain of the Beatitudes. And then for the rest of the week we had very sunny weather. And that was something I didn't expect. I thought uh, since the country itself has evolved so much over time and has modernized ever since the... Uh, ever since... Uh, Great Britain uh, ruled there. I imagine something that was much more, I don't know, industrialized and more, more cities. And, and that's not the case. A, mo- a lot of the, of the country is empty. And uh, most of the industry, most of the people live near the few bigger cities. Like, for instance, Jerusalem. And, of course, uh, housing prices are, are very high over there. It was, um, it, 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 the, the, the journey is still sinking in. I'm, I'm recording this, of course, on the morning after I came back yesterday. I had a very long uh, day. I think I woke up at half past midnight. We packed our bags, went to the took the bus to the airport in Tel Aviv. We came from Jerusalem and then I took several hours for our group, with, which uh, contained many handicapped people to get on the plane. And the plane, the flight itself is also extremely long, much longer than I, than I, I thought it would be. It's about, this, like five, six hours. It's, it's, uh, roughly the same amount of time that it would f- take for me to fly from Amsterdam to New York. So <clears throat> I didn't expect that. And then um, I came back home, I think around one o'clock. In the afternoon, I stayed at the office with Martin. Martin picked me up at the airport. So I worked until uh, 6 in the evening, recorded my show. I had plenty of energy, which is very strange and surprising. I thought I would be completely wiped out after a week like this. And um, And then I went home, came back in a house that unfortunately was not as ready as I hoped it would be. I hoped that during my absence they had already installed, you know, for instance, wired internet and uh, <clears throat> I still don't have a, 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 a... what is it? a washing machine or dryer, I don't have a fridge I have a tiny one that is just a loner. but unfortunately none of that had arrived and I had already forgotten that the house itself is still basically empty and everything is still in boxes so again yesterday evening this morning i'm constantly walking up the stairs walking down and searching for stuff and there is no system in the house yet i'm afraid that it will take me a- another month at least to get uh get uh, things in order well there you go at the end of this road i can see the huge ikea building looming in the distance with the yellow logo on the dark blue background. And that's probably a place where I'll have to go a few more times in order to buy the like the necessary furniture. Lamps, the there's there's just ceiling lamps currently in the house. So there's not much atmosphere I brought in it's like two reading lamps and that's it still need to uh, mount a desk which is also quite necessary for my, <laughs> my kind of normal life to have a desk with a computer and right now the computer is linked to the TV in the living room but it, the, the computer can't be connected to the internet because I need a wired connection for that so it's all pretty primitive so uh, this morning I was uh, feeling okay, I woke up, actually didn't sleep that well, probably because of all the, the um, Holy Land adventures still w- w- whirling around in my head, but I decided to go to work anyway. I could have taken a day off, but instead I'm going to see if I can negotiate a day off tomorrow. Uh, I noticed that Martin had actually planned a meeting with a few people on Saturday, but I somehow didn't get the memo. But on Saturday, uh, there is a winter festival, a castle fest in Lisse. is the place where they have all the, the tulips in the springtime. And I love these festivals. I, it's, it's just a, a nice way to step out of... Uh, the work environment, because don't forget, <laughs> I was on a pilgrimage, but it was also work. It was hard work, and I just feel that I I need a little bit of time for myself and to do something that is completely unrelated to work. So I hope that I can take some time off tomorrow, because it's not well, physically. I feel pretty good, and I think it's because I'm fit. I'm, I'm healthy. I slept enough because every night when we came back from our excursions, be it in Bethlehem or in Nazareth or Jerusalem, I would sleep like a rock. Like I'd see the, the hotel bed and I was gone. So it's not physical fatigue, it's just that my brain has been firing at all cylinders for, uh, for eight days now. But that's not over because today I am going to begin the editing process of all this material. I've got, I, I estimate, between 10 or 15 hours of, of footage that has to be condensed to about 25 minutes. So today is also going to be quite challenging and, uh, and, and it just helps also creatively to step back and do other things. And of course sunday i 've got my masses and everything. That whole machine is also uh, getting more and more uh, intense in a sense that i 've just received the this this sch- schedule schedule <laughs> for uh, the liturgical duties in, uh, in in the first half of two thousand and nineteen, so they plan like six months in advance, which for me personally, is pretty disastrous because my media work is much more short term and uh, it means I can't really look ahead very far, but I have to make take these decisions so early in the year, or even the year before, like now, that it always fills me a bit with dread. Like this trip to uh, the Holy Land wasn't planned, and um, I only got the green light about a month ago, but the I had already been scheduled for a couple of masses um, more than half a year ago. Alright, I'm back at the train tracks and here's the sprinter train that actually goes back to the village uh, where I live. There's a small station there and here IKEA on my right is uh, promoting their vegetarian Swedish meatballs. Well, I guess they don't call them meatballs. The Swedish veggie balls. That sounds wrong. <laughs> They're pretty horrible, by the way. I tried them out once. And if not good. I'm going to miss the the good food of of, uh, of Jerusalem, especially in our second hotel. Um, the, the thing that I loved was that on for lunchtime and for the for dinner we would come back to the hotel other groups that were traveling the country they went from hotel to hotel and so they usually grab lunch where they were we got to go back to the hotel and that was also nice to for our handicapped people that need a little bit more care sometimes need to rest after lunch uh, take their medication but this hotel had amazing an amazing salad bar. I mean, that's apparently a thing in Israel in general. It's just the sheer amount of fruit and fresh vegetables everywhere you go. There's hardly any fast food, um, at least not that I could tell. There was the occasional McDonald's, but it's not not very popular. And uh, people are just eating street food and it's all, or in in tiny restaurants and it's all super healthy. So this salad bar at the hotel was gigantic and everything was different every day. So I got to sample so many different types of salads, gave me a lot of inspiration for my future cooking activities. Above me, the busy road that circles the city of Amersfoort. I'm walking underneath it, bikes are passing me by. This is also a popular route for kids that go to school, mostly high school, and so they're whizzing by very quickly. But I actually really enjoy walking, that's what I've been doing for the past week, and my feet are definitely, my feet and legs are back into walking mode. I'd love to find some time, carve out some time next year to walk a piece of the Camino, as you know. That plan failed this year, but uh, since the liturgical schedule is not definitive yet, although they may actually finalize it this week, I hope to get at least one weekend off so I can walk, uh, let's say, the Camino Primitivo or Portuguese, the Portuguese Camino. It's my retreat, and uh, priests are encouraged to take time for a retreat every, every year, and I've discovered that just sitting in a nice monastery, walking back and forth between the chapel and my room, is just not my thing. I have to be on the move. And walking for me is a great way to calm down and to reflect and pray. So I may just, again, claim a little bit of time, which is part of the of the new me. One of my, my big lessons this year was to... Not feel guilty about time I take for important things uh, in life. And work is very important to me. But it is equally important to re-energize and to take time for, for meditation, for to be inspired. I guess that's the downside of walking alongside the train tracks to work. There's a lot of trains passing by. And I'm recording this, by the way, in case you're wondering why it's mono and not stereo. I'm recording this on my iPhone with the Voice Memos app. The, new, the kind of a refurbished, renewed Voice Memos app of Apple. And I'm using a small lavalier microphone. Uh, and that's because my working microphone, the Zoom, is uh, at the office. that's something I really am getting used to, I uh, need to get used to, is that... A lot of my stuff is no longer at home; it's at the office because it's work-related, and I'm still trying to figure out you know what what belongs uh, at the office and belongs in the in the, the 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 bubble of work, and what is permitted and allowed in my in my well private life. There's no private life really for priests, but my, my personal life. Uh, at home, I'll figure it out. So the the pilgrimage, it, because it was a lot of work, I, I think um, was a different experience for me than for many pilgrims. I couldn't just stand in places and you know let it in and and, and reflect and kind of really be there. I was constantly there for a reason, and I think it it impacted my experience, and also the, it was a very short trip, it was seven days, Um, and of course we lost quite a bit of time traveling because our group was, because of all the handicapped people, much slower than other groups, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, getting in and out of the buses, navigating from one place to another, I mean, imagine doing, uh, praying the way of the cross. In old Jerusalem, which is the the part of the city with the narrowest streets, on the day that Muslims celebrate the anniversary of the birthday of of Muhammad, and they all come to Jerusalem to celebrate that. Imagine doing that with a group of thirty five people, half of which are in a wheelchair, or actually more than half of them. It was. Insane. It was so busy. It felt like it was as busy as the, the, the underground in Rome. And we had to not only bring our people in wheelchairs from one station of the cross to the other, but we also had to form uh, a, a, a circle from time to time, or a half circle, and, and pray those stations. And every time it, we had to uh, carry them up and down... the the stairs, because the the roads themselves are going up and down and even though they have improved the system a little bit, so there are these um, ramps, um, but it's still all cobblestone. And in some parts there are no ramps for wheelchairs and so we have to carry them up with a couple of people. Fortunately a lot of other, uh, a lot of bystanders, uh, be it Muslims or, or, or Christians or Jews, were helping us do that. (laughs) Last evening there was even a bunch of kids and they were playing soccer. This was in the evening and it was much more quiet in the streets. They were playing soccer in in the streets and uh, they saw us panting and (laughs) laboring with the wheelchairs and so they they spontaneously came to help and they were super excited and they went so fast with the wheelchairs that some of our our pilgrims were terrified (laughs) because of their youthful energy. Those were really encouraging moments, to see the kindness and the uh, hospitality uh, in the Middle East. And and it really didn't matter who we were. Uh, I saw the same with the bikers, there was a group of pilgrims that uh, did the entire pilgrimage on bike, Um, fast bikes, by the way, that's a big train. It's a double-decker train. And they uh, initially, at least some of the participants, were a bit nervous about the old, about the experience. And rightfully so. I'm crossing a road here, that's the sound you hear of the cars. I'm on a viaduct, uh, what is it, a bridge. So they were nervous because they were sometimes traveling in occupied territory and uh, through villages where there had been a lot of tensions. At one point, they even got stuck because Israel built a huge wall separating an area with uh, Palestinian inhabitants and and, then the uh, Israeli side of it. And that wall was not on any map yet. And so they were warned by villagers To go back they was like it's not safe here, and you know sometimes people have guns you see a lot of people especially military Israeli military carrying these heavy machine guns and everything and You don't want to get uh, Mixed up in in all the local tensions but I was going with a taxi from uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho on Sunday morning—it's pretty insane. I got a call the, the evening before, late at, late at night. I was already sleeping from the uh, the, the uh, CEO or the director of uh, the pilgrim organization. He said, "You know, it would be fo- it would be nice if you could also film our group of pilgrims, our cyclist pilgrim Pilgrims, and tomorrow we're going to be in Jericho. I had just left Jericho with the group." Um, and, uh, this morning we're going to do our last ascent to the city of Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, symbolically is is a pretty important moment for us, so perhaps you can join us. Take a cab. Uh, meet us at 7 in the morning, which means no breakfast, no coffee. <laughs> that was what I was thinking immediately. And, uh, and then you, you, there is a bus that follows them because of, well, sometimes, uh, People can, can, can have difficulty or the bikes may break. And then, of course, there are some volunteers uh, that take care of the group of, of cyclists. So you'll take the bus and you'll follow us. And then you, we, can, uh, we, we have several stops along the way. And you can do interviews and, and whatnot. So I was following uh, the group that day. Th- that morning I was in a taxi. Um, and my my cab driver was uh, was Arab, uh, it was um, a Muslim, and uh, when he saw at one point we were actually meeting the first group of of cyclists that had already left the hotel in Jericho, and were on their way to Jerusalem. So I pointed to the cyclists and said, "That those these are my people. They're they're Dutch, <laughs> and they're pilgrims." And and he was like. So impressed. And so, it was like, wow, I can't believe that you guys, how old are these people? So I told them that the oldest participant had just celebrated his 80th birthday. And he was one of those cyclists. And he could, just couldn't get over it. And it was so positive and welcoming. And, and apparently the, the, the group of cyclists all had the same experience. That no matter where they were, even if they were in, in um, areas with a lot of local tensions, they were they were very much welcomed by anyone, by everyone, and uh, and and everyone just seemed to um, appreciate their their effort and, and their courage to to do the entire country by bike, which is um, you know the holy land is not designed for bikes. A camel or a, a a mule would be a better idea, but bikes not so much. And so oftentimes you you you'd see them uh bike along the highway and you've got the the trucks passing by at at full speed it looks pretty dangerous to me and at the same time extremely enticing i was like wow i i wish i could uh i could do that one day because it's much much it's a i say that it's it's like um like the camino you can do the camino by car but you wouldn't you wouldn't have the same experience as doing it on foot or Uh, on a bike and So I talked a bit with the director of uh, the Pilgrim organization and he said "Well, why don't you just start training get a good bike and uh, and Within about six months you can be you can be a a really good athlete uh, cyclist There's not much to it and he was living proof of it because he told me that he used to be a runner like me He used to be a marathon runner But at one point, when he got older, I think he's about 10 years older than I am, perhaps a little bit more, um, he started to get all sorts of problems with his knees and he had a hip replacement or something like that. And anyway, his body couldn't do the running anymore, so he switched to cycling. And uh, that became his new big hobby. He said it doesn't take much time as long as you're fit, Uh, your legs are... Are in good shape because of the running anyway. So switching to bike, to a bike is not that much of a deal. It's not not a big deal. Speaking of deals, <laughs> I'm recording this on Black Friday. Uh, I gotta find myself a good deal uh, for a bike because bikes are expensive. There was one of the people of the group showed me her her bike. And it was this fiber. What is it? F- uh, Fiber material, extremely light. The bike itself weighed as much as my equipment bag. It's incredible. And it was the full bike. But she told me that she paid around, what is it? Four and a half thousand euros for it. Four and a half thousand euros for a bike. Good grief. I thought Apple was expensive. (laughs) But then again, it is an investment, of course, that... um, Sometimes pays off if you're if you're on a bike every day and it's your big hobby. Well, I guess it is worth the investment. I would be just scared that the bike would get stolen because it's so expensive. So who knows? Perhaps next year they were actually trying to lure me into signing up for a for a bike pilgrimage from the Netherlands to Lourdes in France. <laughs> Which according to them was so easy and I could totally do that and didn't even need a, a professional racing bike for that And that was a really good kind of gateway pilgrimage for me <laughs> now, Of course these were all biking aficionados But I have to say that their enthusiasm did make me curious about the experience And I always like to um, kind of push myself a little bit, try out new stuff I've done the running, then I switched to walking Perhaps now is the time to go and, uh, uh, I don't know, just more bike, biking. I need to get a good bike anyway, because my, my current bike is 15 years old, if not older, and, uh, the, some of the gears are no longer working. It's really in for a replacement, and I want to kind of go back to my habit of, taking the bike and taking public transport as much as I can, only taking the car when it's impossible to go there by other ways. And it's also because I want to make sure we use the car mostly for work-related stuff, when we have to carry our tripods, crossing a bike lane here, And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, just walking like I'm doing now, uh, or, or riding a bike, it's also healthy. It's nice to be outside. It helps me make the transition between the various locations. I probably need a car anyway for the Sunday celebrations now because of the incredibly outstretched, big uh, uh, surface of, of the two parishes that they, that they combine now. So it's impossible to to go from one church to another without a car. And even on, uh, with a car, it's, it's tricky. Speaking of Sunday Masses, I heard that uh, while I was away, um, uh, we have two churches, one for each of the two parishes, where there has to be Mass every Sunday. It's what our bishop calls Eucharistic Centers. And that is to prevent diluting everything, we need to have locations where people can experience the full sacramental life the way it was intended. And so, since I was in, in the Holy Land, um, our parochial vicar, Mauricio, who is a um, a missionary from uh, from Colombia, was scheduled to celebrate Mass, and he didn't show up on Sunday morning, so people were getting Worried and nervous, they started making some phone calls. And at the very last moment, um, one of our permanent deacons got the call that he was at the emergency room at the hospital, or was going to the emergency room in in the local hospital, because he had um, fainted. He was on his way to church, and he fainted. And uh, so the deacon took over, and... uh, they had a service of, of uh, word and communion, so they, they would uh, distribute communion, still read the readings, and the deacon uh, did a short homily. But that was it, and of course everybody was extremely worried because he's still a kid in, in my eyes. Being an old, you know, an old wizard, of these younglings. <laughs> I, I mean, he's in his thirties, but still. A generation, a full generation younger than I am, but I was worried that I had seen him work so hard in his first year. He's just been ordained about a year ago, and he makes all the classic, in my eyes, the classic mistakes. He may be a very different person from me when I I had his age, but I've learned the hard way that uh, the danger of trying to trying to please everyone and uh, trying to strive for that idealized fr- priesthood that doesn't take into account that as a human being you may be called, you may be blessed, you may be ordained, but it doesn't give you superpowers. Really not. It gives you the assistant of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy the Holy Spirit... Um, for, let's say we always imagine the Holy Spirit to be this this source of an of ongoing energy that will make you surpass your own limits. It's sometimes, oftentimes, quite the opposite. The Holy Spirit is much more of a compass. It's it's the whisper of, of God in your heart that tells you to leave it up to Him, to unburden yourself from everything you feel you have to do and what people are asking you to do, and to always realize that you're not the one who is... Uh, trying to reach the heart of people. It is God, and you are His instrument. And and God knows very well that we, as instruments, have our limitations. And that those can be limitations in terms of sins and uh, character flaws and whatnot, but also limitations physically. We only have a limited energy, and we need our rest, and we need our balance. And so the Holy Spirit That was my discovery when I went through this terrible time of of being overworked and being sick was that the Holy Spirit was telling me slow down Um, and you are not the Messiah you are not God He is and the only thing you are required to do is to give your heart to Him and let Him tell you what to do instead of uh, modeling your, your life and your, your days on, on uh, let's say, your own will or your own plans or the plans of, of, of people. The only plan that matters is God's plan. God takes into account what you can and what you can't do. And the rest, He will do gladly for you and with you. So anyway, those are just some, some, some thoughts. And it turns out that it was not that serious. It was a pretty... Uh, Heavy migraine that floored him, and I don't know if that is something that he had experienced in the past, but again, migraines uh, manifest themselves in times of stress. So I'm a little bit worried about well, a little bit I'm, I'm worried about him, and about the well-being of priests in general in my diocese. I spoke with the pastor of our pilgrimage. There's a, a priest in, uh, in Utrecht, city of Utrecht, not far from here. He's a little bit older than I am. A very wise, kind man. And he too was like, what are we doing to our church here in our, our archdiocese? We have so many former parishes. We have so many churches in small communities. But we, are, we hardly have any priests left. And the priests that we have are at a very advanced age. Most of them are, are between 70 and 80 years old. So in 10 years from now, none of those priests will be active. And then we'll have, what is it, 25 priests left for a, a diocese of more than a million Catholics. And and, and right now, it was his uh, view and also mine, we are still faking it. We're, we're, we're pretending that we can keep this up and we postpone the hard decisions, and there are many pastoral reasons for that, as I mentioned in one of the previous episodes of The Walk. Sometimes you need to have patience, you can't force change on people, or, well, you can, but the effects of forced change can be pretty devastating, but what I think needs to happen is making our Catholic community much more aware of the pressures on priests, and on the few people that are currently um, tasked with the shepherding of the flock. And I think it's the wrong decision to try to um, to optimize the the work of priests. It's uh, this this temptation, as long as we make a, a... as long as we schedule our masses ahead of time uh, you know, like half a year ahead of time, then and, and we have everything uh uh well organized, it's a, it's a typical Dutch thing to do, then then we're, we're we can continue the way we we have done for the past 10 years. Whereas my take is it's already impossible, and it's like when you schedule everything and in and your whole, and I've been I've been that person and so trying to make sure that every single minute of the day was organized and I had these convoluted to-do list systems I had a calendar that was filled to the brim and even my spare time was was carefully planned the thing is that it, it you you leave no space for the human part of life for days that you don't have that energy or for situations in which your efficiency doesn't seem to work and i think that Bringing it back to a certain simplicity of uh, choosing what is truly necessary and discarding what is clutter, even good clutter in a sense that it's useful and beneficial, but it may not be good for you or for, ultimately for the future of the church. It's, getting rid of that is, is, I think, more important than ever. And so, perhaps what we need is not more efficiency but it is a a mental and spiritual decluttering of things that we used to do but that we already know we can't take with us to the future. And going back, that's one of the things that I've been thinking about during my pilgrimage in the Holy Land, It's how simple everything began. The simplicity of Jesus walking, along the shore and I've I've walked there now and seeing these these guys just fishermen and they were with their father and came back from a night of fishing and they were busy preparing the nets and and everything and uh, sorting the fish he's like hey you Peter follow me. (laughs) I was like who are you? What do you do? Oh come and see it's the simplicity of the call and then um also the care that Jesus shows in several okay, on several occasions for for his disciples. He he does he wants to make sure that they only do what is truly important. So when they are fretting and fuzzing about who can sit who can have the important places later on in Jesus's government in in Jerusalem when his kingdom is finally there, he's like I don't want you to be like that. That's that's the way other humans think. I want you to have a big heart. That is what I want from you. To have compassion. To serve. I don't want you to organize and to plan too much ahead. Right, the green light tells me that I can cross the busy street and I'm almost there. So I now know that it's about 45 minutes to walk from home on a very leisurely tempo to my work and I arrive right in time for morning coffee, one of those sacred traditions in the Netherlands. <laughs> so, and, and, and when you, when you walk the, the streets of Bethlehem and we went to the church of the nativity and you think about the life that Mary used to live with her parents and that the only thing that we've written down in the gospel was her yes and those few moments that she shows how much her heart wants to be with her son they don't tell us if she had a job or how she carefully planned her days to be as efficient as possible, to be as productive as, as you can. Um, one of the most beautiful phrases about Virgin Mary in the Gospel is she kept everything in her heart. She, she had a, 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 an open heart for what God told her. And none of that was her plan. None of that was um, part of a career. What... Mary shows me, and I think shows us as a, as faithful, is that the only thing that is truly required of us is to have this open heart and to tell God time and again I'm here, I'm your servant uh, let it be done as uh, according to your word that, that's the logic, that's the That's the basis of everything in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and every time as human beings we try to take matters in our own hands and we forget that it's ultimately about God and about His message and and His work, we tend to mess it up and we tend to auto-destruct. So perhaps that's the big fruit of of the pilgrimage through Israel, through the Holy Land. Let's go back to that simplicity and uh, I should open my heart, open the door, as it were, which is what I'm going to do right now with my (laughs) key and then let God take the initiative and trust that that is enough, more than enough. All right, I'm home. Thanks for listening. I'm home. I'm at work. (laughs) still getting used to it. Take care and I'll talk to you soon. God bless.